You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. It's already February. I, I, just, I mean, already February, January, like, we just finished Christmas. I mean, how, how is this happening? We're so far, um, we're so well into the, the, the year already, and hopefully you've recovered, you know, from the holidays, and I don't know if you're like us, you get the credit card bill has already come, and, you know, so you've got that dealing with, and you're, you're settling back into routines, and because the holidays, Christmas, and New Year's, and so usually by about this point in time, you're kind of getting back into some normal rhythms um, of, of life. I think any of us, though, have been Christ followers for any length of time, or if, even if we've just grown up in church, we realize that just as important as what we do with our lives during the day, it's also important how we do it. It kind of speaks to this idea of quality of the way we live our life. And one of those qualities, and we've already heard about it uh, this morning when Kate talked about it and Mike refreshed for reference a little bit, one of the qualities that really does enhance life is this idea of generosity. And uh, so today we're going to take a, lo- a look at that. And um, we're, I'm convinced, and as, we're, as a pastoral staff, as we were talking about this, um, we're just convinced that our lives are richer and fuller than when we're able to develop an attitude of generosity. And uh, so there's a passage in 2 Corinthians, it's in chapter 9, Paul's writing, and he's writing to the group that's in Corinth. And so he's literally, he's writing to a group of Christians who are gathering together, and the letter would arrive, and they'd all be sitting here, and and someone would say, hey, we got a letter from Paul this week, let's read it, what did he say? And so they all sit down, and they would be reading what what follows here. Well, part of what... um, they read because it's a long letter, but uh, he would be reading from verses 6 through 11. So let me read the, what we have here. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness." You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words from Paul as he's encouraging us and talking to us about this idea of generosity. And uh, Lord, as we dig a little deeper into this morning, give us insight and wisdom and understanding that we could also benefit from what Paul is talking about here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, so a f- few weeks ago, well, probably it's probably maybe, maybe actually be a month ago, I got a letter, or got a notice from Iredale County. And the county wants to know, all right, what property, what items do you have on your premises? What are your premises? So have you had any additions? Do you have any boats or cars? You know, cars that aren't registered, you know, as, as part of your regular. So they want to know everything because they want to be able to tax me accurately. You know, and, and we haven't, we haven't, there's nothing, we didn't buy anything this year, we didn't add on to the house, so there's, it, it was, I didn't add anything to it, but it was just kind of like, ugh, 
You know, if you ever, if you live in Iowa, you probably all got, you know what I'm talking about. You probably got the same letter, the same notice, and going through and updating because you know that this is how they're going to come back at you and say, you, we want this much money from you based upon this. And so this is on top of all the other taxes that are coming out of paychecks. You know, and you look and you see, it's like, really, how much, and what is, and there's just that feeling of, you know, when, when you have that. And, and then we know, as, a, as an ordained pastor, technically for tax purposes, I'm, I'm considered a self-employed, uh, I'm, I'm self-employed, which means I pay quarterly taxes. So I just paid my quarterly taxes, you know, and, and you know, for, and, and I know April 15th is coming up for all of us. And sometimes it just left this feeling, I'm tired of everyone taking my money. Any of you ever feel that way? A few of you? That feeling, that feeling of you know, we've lost control of the ability to control our own money was very prevalent in the first century as well. I mean, there's, as Jews, they had a temple tax. So there was a temp, there's quite often, I forget, there, the, the, there, was, some, there was some discrepancy, not, that's not the wrong word. There's some variation as to how much they thought the temple tax was, you know, especially at this point in time. But still, you know, 5 to 10%, there was a requirement that we had to pay there. Um, that was just because they were, they were Jews, they were required to do that. There's also, anytime they had sacrifices, uh, more often than not, unless you lived and, and had your own, raised your own animals, if you lived in a city, you had to purchase the animals for the sacrifices. So that was just part of your religious taxes that you had to pay. On top of that, they were occupied by Rome. Rome was known to be a very heavy taxation type of government. That's how they paid for all their wars and their expansion. And so, you know, as subjects of Rome, they had an annual poll tax, they had property tax and inheritance taxes. Even then, they had inheritance taxes, sales tax, transit tolls, produce taxes as well. So they were taxed every which way you could think of, much like we feel like we are today. What made it even more impactful, more painful for the, the Jews and the Israelites was that the Romans didn't collect taxes themselves. They used fellow Israelites, or they used Israelites to tax their fellow Israelites. But, but it wasn't like, but the, but the challenge is that the, the Romans then didn't pay the Israelites, the tax collectors. They told the tax collectors, you get what you can. You owe us what you owe us. But what you get paid is basically what you can get. And so that's what was happening. Is the tax collectors would say, all right, I'll make up a number here. You owe $100, but instead I'm going to say you owe $150, and I'm going to keep 50 of it. You've got you've to pay that. And so you had that going on, and it became really, really, so a really big problem. In fact, Jesus in Luke, he told the tax collectors, stop that. Take only what's required. Quit doing that, because that, that's just not right. And it was just a really bad situation. And so all of these hands were reaching into their pockets, taking their money, and on top of all the expenses just to live for food, to pay for, you know, have their mule um, worked on, and, you know, the clothes and medical stuff, and all the things in life that they had to deal with. You know, it was enough for anyone to just say, I'm just not giving away any more of my money. I'm done with this. Enough. I'm tired of people taking money. I'm not giving away another penny. Ever feel like that? In the passage we just read, Paul is talking to that, and he's attempting in his words, he's attempting to remind the people that's not how we're called to live. 
as Christ followers, yeah, I get all that, and we understand the realities of life, <clears throat> but we're called to be generous. We're called to be different. We're called to be generous. And when we think about this, the, the, as Christ followers, this is how we're called to live. Generous, if you think of it broadly, is to provide more than the amount needed or expected. So a person can be generous with their money, obviously, so we're going to talk about that. But a person can also be generous with their time or any other, or maybe information. And I have information that can benefit. Basically, anything that could benefit others can be a function of generosity or can be, can be generous. But, um, so you've got a multimillionaire. Let's do a comparison here. We've got a multimillionaire who gives $1 million to their university. They're an alumni. So here's a, here's the, I'm a multimillionaire. I'm going to give you $1 million as a donation. The other person, you've got someone who's making minimum wage, and they give $1,000 to the local charity. Okay, so multimillionaire gives a million dollars, and someone making minimum wage gives $1,000 to the local charity. Who gave the most money? The millionaire. Okay, gave a million dollars. Who was most generous? probably the minimum wage person who gave $1,000, okay? So, and Jesus actually talks about that very thing. Remember, he's standing in the temple one day in Luke 21, and he's observing what's going on, and he, he sees all these people just kind of pouring in big bags of money, and he watches a widow put in essentially a quarter, what it said, two mites. Basically puts in a quarter in the offering, and he says, she gave more than everyone else. Because they gave out of their surplus, she gave out of her poverty. So she was much more generous in her giving than the other people were. So let me, let me look at another way. So you've got a retired individual who's not, no longer working for a corporation or business, and they give eight hours of their time to a local, let's just say local food bank. So they're volunteering for an entire day of their time. And that's one hand. And the other person, you've got a CEO of an international corporation who gives 30 minutes to a high school student to help them with their school project. It's probably like an interview. Eight hours, 30 minutes. Who gives the most time? Okay. Who's the most generous with their time? Okay. Now, I realize that's a trick question. Potentially, because I've talked to some retired people who are busier now after they retired than when they were before. Okay, so I, so I get that. But the idea behind it is this, is that generosity is always measured in proportion to what you have. Generosity is always measured in proportion to what you have. If you have a lot of something and you give some of it away, that's really nice and that's thoughtful. I think, is it generous? It, it, it is generous, but it's measured in comparison to what you already have. So the question for us, and as Paul's talking about this, clearly he's saying generosity is a good thing, that we should be generous with our money, we should be generous with our time and other things that might be a benefit to other people. Why? Why? What's the big deal? Why is this such a big deal? And, and Paul is what he's talking about very clearly. He says, because that's the example Jesus set for us. If we are Christ's followers, we are to be like Jesus. And he, tells, he says in another passage in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So that's what Jesus modeled for us. Being generous is how we were designed to be. 
we are. That's how, that's how God wants us. That's how we're designed to be. There's a, there's a book that came out a few years ago, uh, Why Good Things Happen to Good People, How to Live a Longer, Healthier Life by the Simple Act of Giving. What they concluded through um, empirical research, so this isn't just somebody's opinion, someone trying to make it, so through scientific research, discovered that generous people are happier, have deeper relationships, and live longer. That's a good reason to be generous. So certainly our understanding of stewardship, how we understand this idea of stewardship in the Bible, also influences or should influence our willingness to be generous. We know that God is the owner of everything. He created it all. God owns it all. Um, And so that should influence that. So as followers of God, knowing that he owns it all, it's kind of like knowing that We've got the rich uncle, if you will. We've got the, someone in the family who, is, who has great wealth that kind of provides us a little security blanket, if you want to think of it that way. The other idea about this is that what we have has been given to us by God. So we, we believe that we benefit because of God's gifts to us. And so technically, it's not ours. We're just taking care of it. And so the idea of being generous, we're not being generous with our things. We're being generous with God's things. We also need to realize, and the Bible talks about this frequently, is that we have to give an account for what we do with what we have, with what we've been given. That's part of our life as Christ followers is the idea of having to give an account. There's an expectation that our lives should reflect God's generosity. God has been generous with us. There's an expectation or the the thought that we should also be generous with others. So in the passage that we read just a few minutes ago, Paul adds to our understanding about generosity. He talks a little bit more and he makes a few thoughts or makes a few points. One of those is that we reap in relation to what we sow. We reap in relation to what we sow. I mean, he is very specific. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. Okay? So it's, it's, he says it's really, it's right there. If you're, if, you're, if you're tight-fisted and hold on to everything, time and money and resources, then that's what you're going to get in return as well. There is a reciprocal relationship between the two. And it wasn't just Paul talking about this. Paul is, clearly makes this point. But Solomon, one of, who's considered to be the wisest man to ever live, in, in Proverbs chapter 11, he says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So even Solomon back then as part of the Old Testament was the idea of being generous. That if you're generous to others, others will be generous to you. Even Jesus talked about this relationship between giving and receiving. In Luke chapter 6, he says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, there's a reciprocalness to being generous and being receiving generosity from others. If you want to reap a greater harvest, you must sow more seed. It's a basic farming analogy. The more seed you sow, the more you will harvest then at the end. Generosity is a trait that never runs out. What you sow, you will get back. Paul also tells us that God loves a cheerful giver because it reveals a transformed heart. 
I love the way Paul makes his point in verse 7. <clears throat> he says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I really like that. Decided in his or her or their heart what to give. So in other words, there's a decision that you go through and make, I'm going to do this. It's not because someone has guilted you into it, because you feel obligated to it. You've decided this is what I'm going to do. And I just think that's a really cool thing. So those of us who have more than one child, um, and we, you know, we're, we're trying to teach this, this, this quality of generosity, or, or usually it comes in the form of sharing. If you ever had this, and you know, we want to treat them, you want to teach them how to share. And usually, in our mind, we have this picture. In our, this is what it looks like for us. In our mind as parents, sharing, this is what it looks like, okay? The reality is that more often than not, it looks like this. <laughs> I, I, saw, I, saw, I have to show that picture. What, what's funny is he's actually holding a spoon. It's the, the thing. So it, it's, not a, it's not an actual knife. But uh, yeah, touch my cake and I will cut you. Uh, this is the saying in the thing there. So... Um, but that's what happens. You know, the, the, the children, you know, they, they, you know, the first off is they're going to ignore you. They're like, share? Like, no, I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear anything. And then you persist, and it's like, no, I don't want to. And they resist. And, and then if sometimes you get to the point, all right, all right. And they do it, but you're going to just tell everything, every fiber of their being is, is not wanting to do it. It's not feeling generous at all. They're going through the act, but they're certainly not do it. Um, they are not being a cheerful giver. Um, there's one more picture I just had to show you. <laughs> this was, I, you know, because I Googled, you know, ch- little children sharing or, or, thing, or fighting over sharing, and this one came up of, uh, yeah, this one kid's going to take out his sibling there because there's only one who's going to survive here. So what's interesting about this is, is uh, so a number of these pictures were associated with articles that had the title, something like, Why I Don't Teach My Child to Share. Or another one was, Why We Shouldn't Teach Our Children to Share which I thought was interesting. So I actually read a couple of them. Um, really what, what, what they're saying was that, not sh- sharing as a whole, they're, they're, the point they were trying to make was that sometimes we, teach, we try to teach a, f- a concept to children who are too young to grasp it. So if you're trying to teach, because the idea of sharing is a, is, is a concept of sharing with others. For, for little children you know, at, at too young of age, it's, they're much more black and white. This is mine you're taking mine, you know? And so the idea that we try to instill this value in them at too early an age, it could actually create more angst with them. So, which is probably what's happened to many of us is that we were forced to share when we were too young. But, but what I thought was interesting is, um, <laughs> that's my excuse and I'm sticking with it. So yeah, so it's not a, it's not a, I'm going to let them do whatever they want kind of thing. It's more, it's just, they're too young to understand the concept that we want them to actually understand. And, so what I, what I got out of that was that sharing is a byproduct of emotional maturity. Sharing, for little children, sharing is a byproduct of emotional maturity. Generosity is a byproduct of spiritual maturity. And that's what Paul's calling us to, be generous. That this isn't a, it's a function of emotional maturity. It's actually a function of spiritual maturity this is who we are. This is who God is. 
Generosity is the natural and appropriate response of people who have been encountered by the grace of God. It's spiritual maturity. A cheerful giver is a sign of a transformed heart. As described by Paul, we also see that God is also looking for people that he can flow his goods through. And the idea here is that we are called to be rivers of God's grace, not reservoirs that simply gather. God is very clearly, in multiple cases, not just in this passage, says, I want to bless you to bless others. And that's been God's modus operandi all through. What did he tell Abraham? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. And this has always been his way of doing it. I'm going to do this for you, not so you can just accumulate and feel good and feel safe and secure, so that you can in turn be a blessing to other people. And then also God prospers you not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. I've, I've heard this before, um, and some of you may have heard this before. You can't outgive God. Um, and that when we're generous, God, it opens the door um, for us to be generous with others as well. So, why is it we find it so difficult to live generously? I mean, if this is such a good thing and it's a, it's a thing that's, uh, that we should be doing and it's what Jesus did, and why can't we just kind of flip the switch and say, okay, now I'm generous and... and, and but we're not. We do find it to be struggle. We, we often find it difficult at times. And a, a couple of thoughts there. One is I think it's just because we, we're, we're all products of a, a human sinful nature. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the fact is, some of us at either as a lifestyle or just in moments, we're selfish. Sometimes we're greedy. Sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen word, world that we feel this way. But I think for most of us, though, I, think, I, don't, I don't think most of us actually have that feeling. I, some, some, we have all encountered people who do, but I think most of us, we're, we're, we're afraid to be generous because of fear. This, this idea of, of we have what, what I refer to as a scarcity mentality. We're going to run out. There's not going to be enough. And if I give this away now, I won't have enough later. And there's this idea that we need to keep and protect what we have. And I think that's what really motivates most people. It's not because they don't like or they're selfish or they feel like they need to accumulate more. It's this fear of if I give this, what will happen to me later on? And here's, here's in, order, in response to that, I, just, I think we need to remember that from the very beginning, from, from what we see in Genesis chapter 1, God is shown as a generous host who provides for the needs of his creation. I mean, he provided for all the needs for Adam and Eve. And all the way through Scripture, when we see his engagement with people, he's providing for their needs. Abraham is on his journey. The Israelites, as they're wandering in the wilderness for their 40 years. All the way through, God is providing for the needs of his people. However, also from the very beginning, we see this in Adam and Eve, humans have lived with a mindset of scarcity. There's a limit to God's resources, so we think, or we're afraid. And so we hoard the very gifts that God has given us to share. Again, the thought is, what if I run out? Or if I give this away today, will I have enough to pay this bill later? Or will I have enough for retirement? Will I have enough for this, for that? And there's this fear that keeps us from being generous today. And that was a crucial lesson for the Israelites when they left Egypt. 
We talked about this in the past where in Genesis 16, they're only, they've only left Egypt for, they've only been on the move for two weeks. So it's only been two weeks. They've just walked through the Dead Sea. I mean, all the things, um, actually the Red Sea. Um, they've, all the things that have happened that God has done. And all of a sudden now they're finding themselves, they're hungry, they're complaining. And so God tells Moses, said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. In the morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to find this stuff in the ground. Um, and that's, it's a bread-like product. And so you need to gather that. Um, and he called uh, manna. You know, you know the irony? Have I told you this before? You know what the irony? Uh, we call it manna. You know what manna is? It's actually Hebrew for what is it? So, we call, so they're going like manna, manna, what is it? And that's what they call it. So it's, this is manna, which is what is it? So um, trivia question of not any value, but uh, it's good for um, sitting on the table talking to people. So give you manna in the day, you're going to quail at night. And that's what happened. So, but the, the rule was take only what you need for the day. Take only what you need for the day. Um, and it was something, I forget what the proportion was, but it actually was an amount. It was something like one pound of manna a day is what you're supposed to take, whatever it was per person. Um, what happened is uh, people, yeah, but if, if, what, if, what if I need more? And so they, they took more. And you remember what happened? Some of you are familiar with the story. They woke up the next morning. Those who took extra, it had gotten moldy. And it says there was maggots all the way through it. It just had just gotten icky over, overnight. So they had to learn to take what they needed for just that one day. What was interesting is that God also then said, listen, on, uh, <clears throat> on Fridays, you need to take enough. There'll be enough there for two days. Take what you need for two days because none's coming Saturday because it's Sabbath. So on Fridays, pick enough for two. There's enough there. Take what you need for two days, and I'll come out. And still, even that, people didn't listen. They were out Saturday trying to get their stuff, and God says, how am I, how am I going to put up with you guys? Because you just don't listen. You don't trust. And here's the thing. God is faithful to provide for your needs. He is. God is faithful to provide for your needs. If you're like me, it's never too much. I always feel like it could, be, it could be a little more or sometimes it feels like it's really late in coming and because we, sometimes life is the way that it just sometimes it feels awkward. But here's what I can tell you in my life. I know many of you have felt this way. God has never, never failed me. He's never failed us in providing for our needs. Yes, we've gone through seasons where it's been hard and difficult and struggled, but God has always, always, always been faithful. So, what can we do then to live a generous life? How can we be generous in what we do and how we live? So I, I think one of the things that we can do, and this is, uh, this is not in your worship guide. This is, this is uh, Sam's surprise. So this is above and beyond uh, what's in your thing there. So, um, so I think one thing is just recognize that generosity is a journey. And what I mean by that is it's not as if you wake up one morning and say, all right, I'm going to be generous, and now you're generous and for everything at all times. Um, you're going to wake up, and some days you're going to be really generous, and some days you won't. Um, you're going to realize that in some things, I might be generous with my money, but I'm really stingy with my time. You know, so, so it's not a consistent all for one covering. And that's, that's just, a, it's, it's a journey of faith, and that some days we're going to be better at it than others. But the question is, will we continue to strive to be generous in all areas of our life? I think the second thing we need to do is reevaluate, if, if this is a struggle, reevaluate your view of God. God's posture has always been one of generosity. Genesis 12, when he calls Abraham to follow him, go to land I will show you, a land flowing with milk and honey, and that's always God's. Now, what's ironic is that Abraham gets there, 
You know what it says then? And there was a famine in the land. So, all right, God, you're going to provide. And now I get here and, wait, what? This is, we know there's much more to the story. That wasn't the end of the story, the famine, but that was part of the journey. Psalm 484 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God is a blesser and he's eager to bless your life. That's God's nature. That's who he is. The third thing you can do is surround yourself with people who have the same values. It's this idea of group dynamics. Members always take on the characteristics of the group. Always. It's just, it's just you can't resist it. Uh, individuals can influence a group, but the group always influences the behavior of the members. So that, knowing that, surround yourself with people who are like-minded, who have the same values, who also want to be generous with who they are. Fourth, give your first and best portion back to God. Now, we believe here at Grace Covenant that the Old Testament practice of tithing is still the best. Um, and that's 10% of what you, what you would make is what you would give back to God. Now, I've heard says that, well, now we're not under the Old Covenant. You know, 10%, we're now under the New Covenant. You know, and, and that's fine, but you also have to remember in the New Covenant, even in the New Covenant, generosity didn't begin until 10%. In the Old Covenant, you were required to give the 10%. In the, new in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, to be generous, you gave more than 10%. Because you, you still had the law, you still had the things you had to do. So to be considered, it's like, if you pay your taxes what you're owed, you're not being generous to the government. I mean, because that's what you're owed. Generosity begins at 10% in the New Testament. So when everyone says, hey, we don't need to do that, okay, but realize you're actually committing yourself to doing more than what, uh, what has been required. They don't like that. Usually they're trying to look for ways to do less, but that's what it says. And lastly, take daily baby steps with words and your thoughts and time, stuff and money, and, and, and write them down. Write down, just keep a little journal. Now, for some of you, if, you know, for tithing may be something, or giving uh, financially might be a real stretch and really hard and it's something you're not used to, start small. Some of you is like, 10%? Are you kidding me? That's, that's a lot of money. And Start with 1%. Start with 2% and see what happens. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I love. In Malachi chapter 3, God says this. He's, writing, he's talking to the Israelites. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. God is literally saying, I dare you. See what happens. You couldn't be more clear as to what God's expectation is of us, but also what he's holding himself to do, what standard he's holding himself for us as well. So if, if that is too big of a hurdle, then start small and see what happens. Because what, what the other part of, of the person, Malachi, said not only will God bless you with things, he will also keep bad things from happening. So your car runs a little longer and doesn't need that big repair. Or kids aren't getting sick as much. So there's things that happen as well. So it's not just the positive that God gives us, it's that he protects us from other things that could be, have a negative effect on us as well. But again, that's God's posture and that's what it means to be generous. When we're generous with others, others and God are, is generous back with us as, as well. So quite often when we're talking about goals and things you want to do and behaviors you want to change, 
um, within uh, the idea of strategic planning, you always create an action item. All right, if this is what we want to do, right, what steps are you going to take to get there? So I guess my challenge to each of us is that we would take an action item. This week, I want to do this. I want to, um, I will step out in faith this week and I want to be generous by doing, and maybe it has to do with money, maybe it has to do with time, maybe it has to do with conversation, but what is one area that maybe that God is calling you to be more generous in your life? Outrageous joy is not discovered in gathering more or having more, but choosing to follow the model of God as we live generously. Let me read Paul's words again. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. How cool is that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for Paul's words. And for, Lord, the encouragement for us to be generous. That it's not just this idea you want to take and that uh, you're, you're demanding these things of us. That there's this idea of living a life that has such a quality to it that not only are we uh, blessing and benefit to others, uh, to, that not only are we benefited, Lord, that we have the opportunity to be a blessing and a benefit to others. Lord, we quite often are the means by which you bless people. Uh, Father, many of us have been recipients of that grace, it, uh, um, that uh, someone has surprised us with something we didn't expect. And whether that's um, uh, money or groceries or help, or maybe it's time. It's an invitation to join uh, them at, at some, something that's fun and enjoyable. But God, regardless, this idea that you want us to live generous lives is uh, just such a, uh, can be challenging, but it is such an amazing thing. So Lord, I pray that for each of us, I suspect there's some areas of our life in which we feel pretty good, that we feel pretty, we're pretty generous, but there's probably other areas in our life, if we're honest, would have to admit that, well, maybe not so much. Uh, so Lord, I ask that we would hear your voice and be receptive to your prodding and to, your, to the voice that, and the thoughts that might come to us at various times throughout the week. Uh, Lord, that we would be a generous people, that we would be the kind of people that are resources for you to use in blessing other, others as well. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to your purposes, to your work. Lord, uh, thank you for what you're doing in us and through us, that we would be a community of people who are generous. May that be said of the people of Grace Covenant Stateful. What an amazingly generous group of people. So, Lord, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.